This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. For those that have maybe missed the last couple of weeks, we started a series two weeks ago called Ethos. For those that don't know what Ethos is, it, it literally refers to this culture uh, or this concept of culture. It literally means in the Greek, the nature, disposition, customs of a group of people. Webster's defines it as this. It's the distinguishing character, moral nature, or guiding beliefs of a person, group, or institution. So when we're referring to this Greek word ethos, which is a biblical word, we're talking about the culture in which we live by. How many know that every single family, every single person has a culture which you live by? There's certain things that, that, that are, are boundary lines for you and how you view things. There's certain things that define you. There's certain things that you think through. There's certain things that you process through. But God's heart for every single person in this place is that we would be aligned and defined by His plan, His purpose, and His word, and His will. You believe that? Say amen. Romans 12, 2, we've read it the last two weeks, but I want to read it again. It says this, Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-informed maturity in you. Two weeks ago, we talked about character before charisma. In other words, these are three different thoughts or three different ideas that literally define the way that we think culturally. The way we look at leadership, the way we look at different scenarios in our church. These are three thoughts or three themes that help to define what we do and why we do it. Number one is that character before charisma, or in other words, character before gifting. Last week we talked about family before function. How many know that if you do all of these great exploits for God, but your family's not with you when you do it, or not there at the end of your life to celebrate it, what good is that? And the one verse we actually mentioned last week, I'm not going to repeat it word for word, but it literally says, for those that don't care for their family are worse than an unbeliever. That's not good, right? So before I share our third theme today, I want to share a story, okay? Now picture with you, uh, picture with me if you can, um, a scenario. Um, say that there's this uh, pastor's couple with 17 children. Okay, just imagine for, for a second, they've got 17 kids. Um, you know, they left the GTA, came to a, uh, the Limestone City uh, about eight and a half years ago. And, uh, you know, one day they just realized, you know, it would be so great to get away, just the two of us, and leave the 17 children with somebody else just for a weekend. And, and Sandra and I just, oh, sorry, and that pastor and his wife just get away for, you know, a weekend, you know, maybe Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, come back Monday, that would be awesome. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I'm not mentioning any particular situations or people in, in particular, but, but just really, con, you know, thinking through what, what a lovely idea that would be. Now, if we got to that point, and, and I could relate to that person in some ways, you know, in a little bit of, a little ways, but um, if that person was going to go away, I've always asked this one question. Who would they get to watch their kids? Is it someone who's going to play Candy Crush all day on their phone? Is it someone who's looking for a quick whatever amount of money that would be? No. 
It's somebody that's going to care for my kids. Oh, sorry, for their kids. Um, It's going to be somebody who's going to watch over our children, who's going to be actively engaged with our children. Why? Because they want to look out and make sure that they're taken care of. How many of those, think, if you're relating to me this morning, how many would say, I agree with that, right? I agree with that. We want the right type of people watching over our kids. And I say to that, how much more in the house of God? So, what we're going to talk about today is relationship before release. Relationship before being released into your worldwide ministry. All right. Okay. <laughs> that part slipped out. Anyhow, okay. Um, I want to read a verse in First Thessalonians five twelve and 13. It says this. But we beg you, brothers, to know those who labor among you, to know those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to respect and honor them in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Know those who labor among you. Hmm. Interestingly enough, this word know, in the, in the actual Bible, in the actual Greek, it literally means this. To perceive with all of the senses, or to recognize. To perceive with all of the senses, or to recognize. Right? How many know that you can recognize... Kids that your kids should not be playing with at school fairly quickly. You know what I'm saying, parents? Come on now. Yeah, you know, that's for all the moms out there. All right. How many know that we can recognize, not only with our eyes, but sometimes with all of our other senses, who's good for us and who's not? And for some reason, sometimes we don't have all the understanding of why we feel that way, but we know there's something going on there that is, that is not good. It concerns us. And my response, once again, is... How much more the house of God? We cannot be a house of restoration, a place where God wants to heal people and bring them to a place of of transformation if we cannot be counted credible and trustworthy. That's good. Thank you, honey. That's a good word. Now, the cool thing is, is I also want to see an environment that's created whereby if someone makes a mistake... They can own up to it, repent, and move on. Right? How many know that humans make mistakes? How many know that we're not perfect? How many know that we're on a journey going from where we used to be to where we are going to be? But we're not quite there yet. Comes back to point one. God still loves you. Right? Amen? But this word... I want to say this morning, when I looked it up and I started studying it, it literally... I want you to hear this. The word no is not talking about knowing about. It's not talking about some abstract knowledge of somebody. It's not talking about, oh yeah, yeah, I know that actor, that actress, because I've seen their movies, or because I read about them in some of those magazines. You know what I'm saying? No, we don't know them. We know about them. We've heard about them. But we don't know them. How many know it's a totally different thing to know about someone and to know them? If you want someone to watch your kids, you don't want to know about somebody. You want to know them. Amen? What's interesting enough, this word know actually speaks about having an eternal perspective. These are people that have an eternal deposit in their life that you trust, that you have a relationship with. That's why the very end of verse 13 says that we can be at peace with everyone. Why? Because you can be at peace when you know someone. 
How many know that if you leave something and you leave it to somebody else, but you don't know them, you don't have peace? Something inside of you says, oh, I don't know how that's going to turn out. Oh, I hope they do okay. I hope they don't blow the church up when I'm gone. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? No, when you know them, you can be at peace. Can I say it this morning like this? It's so important that we know one another, not by the flesh, not by what we see on the outside, but we know each other by the Spirit, by their heart, by their attitudes, by their intentions, by their motivations, by their godliness. We need to know each other by that. 2 Corinthians 5.16, I love this verse. It says this, So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. We know him. Interestingly enough, same Greek word. Same Greek word. That verse in 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says, Know those who labor among you. And interestingly enough, that word among literally is a, is a, a type of kind of adverb that we would use in the same way that we would use the word in. Right? And so it literally means this. Are you ready for this? And it's going to be on the screen behind you. It literally means this. A fixed position in time and place. A fixed position in time and place. How many know that there, and I'll say this. When I remember when Sandra and I were preparing to church plant and processing through all the information and getting all of our ducks in a row, we can honestly say in all the conversations we had with all these other people that we heard about were church planting, we could almost, within five or ten minutes, look at each other at the end of a conversation and go, yeah, they're going to try that for a year, and then they're going to give up because they're more about their ministry than they are about people. Sure enough, some of these people tried it for a year and then left town. Tried it for 18 months and left town. Two years, left town. And then, I, you know what I keep saying to myself? Well, it's not about us. It's not about us. It's not about us. Some people have come to us and said, why don't you have a picture of you and Sandra on the website so we know who you are? Because it's not about us. I couldn't care less about me. I don't care. I care about Jesus, and I care about how much he cares about you. Everything else is secondary. Trust me. You don't need to see me. You hear me. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? All the time. And you're probably getting sick of hearing me, but it's all good. It's all good. Don't don't worry, because if you get sick of hearing me, I may put six-foot blow-up pictures of myself all over the place kidding anyhow but it's not about us but i love this thought love this 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 definition in a fixed position in time and place how many know that you cannot know someone's true motives or not cannot know someone's true heart if they're not fixed in a position for a long enough time to know what they're all about you got to get fixed know those who labor among us know those that are fixed in position and you know their heart that's what gives you peace those are the people you can trust with different opportunities and things that are going on. Why? Because you know them. Not because they're perfect. They're going to make mistakes. Absolutely. I do too. But because you know them, it gives you peace. 
Second, ver- uh, second definition of this word among, it literally means to be instrumental in implementation and construction. I love how God's word puts all this stuff together. So if we look at it in the context of this verse, and in it's an original meaning, this is literally what it says. Look for people God has placed in our lives that are in a fixed position, and they are there that are instrumental in order to construct or to build the kingdom of God in us. Build. Lego. Hmm. It's amazing how everything connects. Pun intended. You know what I'm saying? Okay. They're in a fixed position. Because they're in a fixed position, they become instrumental. How many are thankful that when you're going through a rough time, there's fixed position people in your life that you know who to turn to? You know they're going to be there no matter what. No matter the situation, they're just there. They're the ones sending you that text. Hey, I'm just thinking of you today, man. Love you. Believe in God for you. They're the ones Facebook messaging you when you have, they had no idea what you're going through. They're the ones giving you that extra big hug on a Sunday morning and, and connecting with you for half an hour at the end of your connect group just to talk and to pray with you about what's going on. Those are the fixed people that you can trust, that you can have peace with. You see that this morning. How do we know that this whole concept of building and construction is key. Well, let's go back one verse up. We started at 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13, but let's go to verse 11. It's amazing how God puts everything together. Therefore, exhort one another. Another word is encourage. And what? Build each other up, even as you also do. Build each other up. Build, connect, build, connect, build, connect. Lego, hello, here we go again. You see the patterns. Why is this concept so instrumental uh, for us, especially as pastors and leaders? I'm just going to throw at something that maybe some of you don't know. Do you know that on average, in any given month over the last eight and a half years, I get between four and six ministry requests that are sent to me via phone, via email, via this, via that, every month? Who are we supposed to say yes to? I've actually figured out we're probably somewhere between 120 and 150 ministry requests that have been asked of us in the last eight plus years. Well, how do we know? Well, I'll tell you how we do it. Can I let you in on our secret? We keep thinking relationship before release. So if I don't know you, sorry. You say, well, what happens if God is moving and God is leading us? Well, how many know that the leading of God trumps All of our guidelines. Absolutely. I have trumped that guideline before. But generally speaking, we live by this concept of relationship before release. Why? Because then I can have a Gary Hayes come. I can have a Mike Cervello come. I can have a Frank Satius come. I can have all these different guys come. And I go, you know what? I don't even have to be here. I'm going to stay here because I really enjoy their ministry. But I don't have to be here because I trust them. They can take care of you. And I know that they're trustworthy. Why? Because I have a relationship with them. I know them. Now, the exception to that rule for us would be if I know somebody like Gary that would know somebody else that I personally don't know, but he would highly recommend, I would bring them in because I trust Gary. And I can be at peace because I trust Gary. Why? Because of relationship. We tracking? So why is it so key? Proverbs 27, 23, I love this. It says, be sure you know. It's actually a a command to leaders. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. In other words, be watchful and careful of what's going on with your family. Okay? Okay? 
The end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and it's an amazing little concept. It goes on to talk about, you know, know those that labor among you, and blah, 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 blah. You know, be at peace with everyone. That's awesome. And then it ends with these thoughts. But test and prove all things until you can recognize. No. Remember the Greek word? To know means to recognize. Prove all things until you can recognize what is good to that hold fast. Abstain from evil, shrink from it, and keep aloof from it in whatever form or whatever kind it may be. One of the verses we shared last week, and again, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this because I want to go somewhere else, but I want to mention to you just the heart and the process that we go through as pastors in determining um, the safety and the health for you guys. How many are thankful that we as pastors are really thinking through the safety and the health of you as a church family? All three of you, that's encouraging. Awesome. Woohoo! Yay! Hooray for our team. Yay, that's awesome. Okay. Well, for the three of you that raised your hands, I'm going to talk to you for a second. That's awesome. You're my favorites. You're now back in the will. <laughs> okay. Kidding. Okay. Matthew 7. This is the verse we read last week, and it said this. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That is, by the way that they act. How many of you have ever had someone come up to you, do something, say something, act a certain way, and say, I was just kidding? Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I don't think you were. That's just my two cents. I think there was something more to that. Mast in sarcasm. Mast in humor. But that's just me. Why am I reading this verse again? Because we have to understand that the day and age that we are living in is an incredibly difficult day. The Bible actually, and I actually had about 13 verses I was going to read, and then I thought, no, I'm just going to overkill this thought, so I'm just going to read one, uh, one section. But the Bible says on a number of different occasions that in the last days, even the elect will be deceived, that false prophets will run rampant, that people will turn to things because their itching ears want to hear it. So we live in a day and age, not to be fearful. Listen, I'm not fearful at all. But what I am is I'm very cautious and I'm very, I'm very thorough in the way that I process the situations. Some people have come to me and says, man, you ask a lot of questions. I'd rather ask a lot of questions because I want to know where you're coming from. Some people who, who have wanted to minister at our church before, whether it be you know, speaking or maybe a worship team or just different things, I ask a ton of questions because I want to find out if, if everything connects or not. And if something doesn't connect, it sends a little, red, a little red flag in my mind going, okay, something's off here. And I don't, not to say that I won't have you in the future, but figure that out first and then we'll have a discussion later on, Right? Because I'm very concerned about you guys. I can't help myself. I think like a daddy, so I can't help myself. But Second Peter, this is the one little section I'm going to reference today, just for, for us to understand. Second Peter chapter 2 is an entire chapter of warning to the New Testament church about false teachers, false prophets, and people that are sowing all this other stuff. And it starts off in verse 1, and it says, But there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies. You have to understand that uh, false prophets don't show up with a big sign on their front of their chest saying, I'm a false prophet. They don't have a pitchfork. They don't do any of that stuff. The entire motive of a false prophet or a false teacher is deception. They want to dupe you. So what do they do? Oftentimes, this is what they do. They, They focus on the minor things rather than majoring on the majors. So they make a minor thing a major thing, and they go out of balance. How many know when you go out of balance, it feels right because the first moment you heard it, it sounded good, but then over time it gets further and further away from the truth. Right? So here's the warning. 
And he actually goes through it from verse 12 all the way down to verse 19. And I'm just going to give you snippets on the screen behind me. Verse 12, it says, they scoff at things they don't understand. Ha! Yeah, you Jesus people just hiding behind that big ancient old book, the Bible. Yeah, well, you don't know nothing. Well, yeah, you don't either. Tell me what you know. Um, Oh, okay, so I see you're into Buddha. Um, So, um, you know, it's like, come on, talk to me here. Talk to me here. One thing I love is I love to engage conversation. And the one, thing, the one reason I love to engage conversation is you usually get about three, four, five, ten minutes into it and you start to realize, okay, they don't actually have a well-thought-out thought yet. They just are believing what someone else told them, but they haven't thought it through themselves. So this is going to be a fun conversation now because I'm going to just pepper you with questions until we get to the bottom of that. And the one thing I constantly see is when you start asking a ton of questions and people actually stick with it long enough, you actually get to the end of the conversation and they realize, I don't know nothing. So I'm going to actually look into it. My entire goal when I have conversations with people is not to be, have you convinced of what I believe, but to have you convinced that you don't know what you believe. So do something about it. Look it up, right? Okay, verse 13, they delight in deception. Verse 14, they desire for sin, their desire for sin is never satisfied. Verse 14 again, they lure unstable people into sin and they are well-trained in greed. Some are obvious. Go online right now and you can get $500, uh, give $500 and get a personal prophecy. Do you know that? Some are not so obvious. I should share something, but I think I'm going to behave. I'm going to say it. Okay. I was going to behave. And then I looked at Sandra, she was looking the other way, and I thought, this is my moment. This is my moment. Can I say something this morning? Tithing is a biblical principle. I love it. I live by it. I've seen the blessing of God upon my life. But you know what? If I try to convince you that it's God's principle, and I just try to get in your face and try to drag things out, and I'm mostly dragging it out, and if you don't give, you're going to go to hell. <laughs> you know, if you don't give, I'm going to live out on the street, and all my 17 kids. That's ludicrous. I believe in the principle, but how many know that there's a lot of movements and a lot of ministries out there that will manipulate your finances in order for you to get a blessing from God? We don't give to get a blessing. We give because we love Jesus. All right. That's good. Thank you. All right. Okay, moving right along. All right. Verse 15, they've wandered off the right road. Verse 18, they brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting. Verse 18, they lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. Verse 19, they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. So, I want you to understand today, why is this whole concept of relationship before release so key? Well, I'll tell you why. There's three different types of people in ministry today. Um, Three that you'll see. Three that are... All around. They're all around you right now. They're everywhere. Okay? Are you ready for this one? You ready? Okay. Number one, self-appointed ministries. The best example in the Scripture, I think, is Korah. For those that don't know his story, you can look it up in Numbers chapter 16 and 17. It's actually referenced as well in Jude, uh, verse 11, uh, which is near the end of the Bible. So what is a self-appointed minister? They are a person that takes on the authority and responsibility of a spiritual gift, office, or ministry in which they were not called. (laughs) 
that was silent response. I've got to love it. That means you're really excited about that. Number two was a man-appointed minister. If I say it like this, human-appointed. Human-appointed minister is a great example of that is King Saul. Okay, and I'm going to reference him in a couple minutes here, something that's really, really interesting. But you have to understand, remember, God initiates, man responds. If God doesn't initiate and we respond out of our own heart, then how many know that we, we may be deceived ourselves into thinking that God has actually called us to something? Okay? This person claims to receive a call from God, but the call comes by the authority of humans who are not speaking under God's influence. Do you want to know why we came and planted Impact Church? Do you want to know why we came to Kingston? Because over a period of about, mm, well, if you go back on both of our lives, about 20 years, there was a consistent pattern of a word from God from many different people, including those that loved us and those that didn't even know us from a hole in the ground, that would prophesy the same things over and over and over and over again. Over and over and over again. That God would keep saying, you're going to plant a church. You're like a mother and father that's going to take care of your little sheep. You're going to have your own house. You're going to be an arrow shot out from this place. You're going to be all that stuff. We kept hearing it over and over and over again. So I can tell you right now, I know that I'm in the sweet spot. I'm exactly where God called me to be, right on this carpet. (laughs) See, I'm out of the will of God. I'm in the will of God. I'm just kidding. Anyhow, all right. Some of us think that way. It's like, oh, God, should I get a Snickers or a Mars bar? (laughs) Big Turk. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? God spoke. Anyhow, okay. The third one is God-appointed leaders, God-appointed ministers. King David was the best example of that. This is a person that is God's choice for a God-given task and a God-given season and for a God-given reason. You can't miss the God factor in their life. Amen? So self-appointed ministers are about power. Man-appointed people are about prestige. God-appointed people are about people. It's about people. It's about sheep. Can I say it like this? God-appointed leaders will die for the sheep. Man-appointed leaders like to live off the sheep. God-appointed leaders will die for the sheep. Can I just share one little story before we end here? First Samuel chapter 10. There's a very interesting story about when King Saul, who was the man-appointed, human-appointed version of ministry, King Saul was appointed and anointed uh, for uh, the kingship of Israel. And I wanted to share with you, I'm not going to go into all the verses. You can look this up. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 10. You can look it up for yourself. But I want to show you this morning, or tell you this morning, what happened. So Saul was anointed uh, with oil by the prophet Samuel, the same guy that anointed David. Samuel anointed Saul with oil that was poured out from a vial. And a vial, for those that don't know, is a uh, human, man-made instrument used to have drinking water stored in it. All the other kings in the Bible were anointed with oil that was poured out from the horn of an animal. The vial was man-made. The horn was taken from an animal that had to give his life to produce it. Hmm. Saul was a man-made ministry anointed by a man-made instrument. David was God's choice anointed from an animal's horn, an animal like a lamb that had to give up his life to anoint you. Jesus gave up his life 
so that you could be anointed. But you have to understand this morning, what are you walking under? Are you walking under the anointing of your own dreams and your own success? Are you walking under the anointing of God's given dream and success? What are you walking under the anointing of? It's the one thing that I've seen in my life, because I can, can I be honest this morning? I've done both. I've, I've walked under the anointing of God, and I've walked under the anointing of myself. And most people that said I walked under the anointing of myself said I was annoying and not anointed. So I decided that walking under the anointing of God was far better. Far better. How many know that sometimes God has to take you through some seasons to get you to figure that out? You know what I'm saying? But what's the proof of all of this? What's the proof of being God-appointed? The proof is very simply this. The Greek word that we define as ministry in the New Testament literally means serve. You cannot lead someone that you don't serve. And guess what happens when you serve? You have relationships. Because then you're not serving out of obligation. You're serving out of response, a love response to the needs of others. Do you know how many people beat me to the hospital last Sunday morning from this church before I could even get to Renee? I lost count. Do you know how many people came after I was there? I lost count. How many people responded via text, via email, via blah, 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 blah? Did they do it because Renee decided to put them in their will eight years ago? No. Did people do that with Brian or with Eric because they put them in their will a number of years ago? No. They responded out of relationship. And you know what was released into that family from the families of others? Peace and love and joy and hope and grace, and mercy, and the sense of God's unstoppable, and God's going to get me through. I don't know about you, but when you're in the midst of feeling like you're not, you may not come through. Could you imagine the mind games that go on up there? If you feel like your life is in the balance, I don't know about you, but when you're in that moment, relationship is everything. Relationship here to Jesus, relationship here with the church. You tracking with me today? I see how this is so important for us as a church to understand that relationship is everything. If we don't know you, I mean, you may be the most anointed person next to Billy Graham, but if I don't know you, I don't know what, not just what gift you have, but I don't know how you're going to minister it. Could you imagine if someone came in here with a prophetic ministry but never had kind of marinated in the shepherding pastor love part of this family? And they came up and started prophesying over you at the altar, and they started saying, and the Lord showed me you're in sin, and you're going to hell, and you're going to die in three days if you don't repent. How many know that you're going to look at that and go, I said, thank you, Jesus, for the right hand of fellowship. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That's what's going to happen. Why? Why do we want you to... Be a part of this. Why do, we, why do we want you to marinate in the family in that sense? Because then you'll know the heart of this place. And when you speak to people, you minister to people, you pray for people, you're going to minister it out of the love of Jesus that's on display in this place. How many have ever been invited to Starbucks, walked in and it looked like Tim Hortons? Wouldn't that throw you off? 
Be like, I thought I was coming to Starbucks. I want my latte. Come on now. What's going on? The problem is, is there's far too many churches where you walk into church and you have a particular person minister over to you and you thought this was a Starbucks church and they just started ministering to you like Tim Hortons. And you go, I don't want my dark roast. I want to spend $15,000 on one coffee. That's what I want because I'm worth it. I'm a daughter of the king. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. The point is, is that it's got to be about relationship. Do you know what I'm saying? Go ahead. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, Jesus, have mercy on me. Oh, hallelujah. Can I, I just want to read, um, I'm going to read one thing and then I'm going to end. Luke 22. This is the Last Supper. This is Jesus. He sat down at the table. They did the Last Supper routine. Okay, and I'm going to skip through down to um, verse 20 if we can. Are you okay, Amber, to follow me there? Verse 20. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. Relationship, covenant, relationship. Covenant's about relationship. Okay, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Verse 21, but here at this table, sitting amongst us is a friend, is the man who will betray me. Why? Self-appointed. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die, but what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? Verse 23, the disciples began to ask each other which of them would ever do such a thing. And then they became really brilliant. Then they began to argue among themselves who would be the greatest among them. Man appointed. It's about my ministry. Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lorded over people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant, God appointed. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. Hmm. Have you ever wondered why the Bible during communion says, don't take in an unworthy manner? Have you ever heard that phrase before? First, Thessal- or First Corinthians chapter 11. It says, don't take communion in an unworthy manner. And I've, I've been pondering on this thought for a while. Because the way I was taught growing up in a good Pentecostal church where they want to scare the H-E double hockey sticks out of you, right? You know what I'm saying? Uh, they want to scare sin out of you so bad. They want to scare it out of you. So the whole thing is to put fear into you so that you run away from sin. When I grew up, and I love my mom. Mom, I know you're here. You're the best mom in the whole world. Um, but I was scared out of my mind to go f- to step foot into a movie theater because I thought it was where Satan himself lived. <laughs> so the first phone call after we got the Cineplex contract signed was to my mom. Hey, mom! <laughs> Guess where we're meeting? Where, dear? At the movie theater where Satan lives. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Here we go. Okay. All right. Can, back to my notes. Okay. Here we go. But can I say this? Oftentimes we read this concept of an unworthy manner as being that because we have sin in our lives, it makes us unworthy. Can, do I have news for you today? We're all unworthy. Jesus die, didn't die for you because of your worthiness. He died for you because he got the bad case of the so loves. 
So the question is not our worthiness. The question is the worthiness in the attitude in which we take communion. The way we view the body of Christ. That's why it says you don't discern the body of Christ. Well, who's the body of Christ? Us. Relationship before release. How do we relate to one another? How do we respond to one another? How do we reconcile to one another? I want to just end with a thought. We do not relate to a person simply because they're a person. We relate to a person because of the deposit of Jesus inside of them. That's why relationship is key. How much of Jesus is coming out of them? When they're getting squeezed, how much of Jesus is coming out? What's going on? We want to release people. Trust me. I want to say it very clearly because I know the focus has been on relationship. But I, I want to say I want to see you guys in the sweet spot of your ministry call. It'll bother me to no end to see you frustrated and in a place where you don't feel fulfilled. That bothers me. If there's one thing that consistently has bothered me for eight plus years is when I see people just floundering in the midst of things and they just don't feel like they're in the place that God has for them. That bothers me as a pastor. But I have news for you today. When we put our relationships right, when our relationship with Christ is right, when we focus on becoming more like Christ in those relationships, I have news for you. There will be greater credibility, greater anointing, greater presence, and greater power on the ministry that God's calling you to serve with other people. Without that, you're going to rely a little bit too much on your own ability. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com. 